So I love how we start the morning service with the words, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, hallelujah. And I must admit, my confession is, I always find uh, those moments slightly awkward and uh, very British. We're not big on emotional displays. I think we are experts in the art of understatement. I mean, as a Brit, if somebody said to you, did you like the dessert? And you said, oh, it's actually quite good. What we're saying is, this is the most amazing food that I've ever tasted. Everyone has to try this. If you get an email from somebody who's a Brit and says, you know, at your earliest convenience, what we mean is, I want this now. Intonation as well can not help. It makes, adds further confusion. If asked our opinion on something, he said, yeah, it's, it's uh, not bad. It can mean it's, yeah, it's, it's actually quite good. Or, yeah, it's not bad, which means it's probably the worst thing I've ever seen. Uh, but these are silly examples, but they can have serious consequences. In the Korean War, there was a British brigadier who informed General Seoul, his American superior in the UN and Joint Command, that uh, things are a bit sticky, sir. And what he meant to say was that they were in serious trouble. They were outnumbered eight to one. They were flanked uh, on all sides. The, they were under attack. They were running out of munitions. But because they were just in a, a, a little bit of a, a sticky situation, General Seoul understood that to mean, well, we're, we're holding up. It's a bit rough, but uh, we're going to be okay. So no extra troops were sent in. They weren't ordered to withdraw. And consequently, more than 500 British soldiers were captured. 59 were killed. Uh, or missing, and only 39 escaped. If you ask a Brit, you know, how are you? And they reply, oh, you know, mustn't grumble. Call the ambulance immediately because they're probably rather unwell. So I don't know if this is just a British thing or whether this is also something that is true for the church. You know, when we say Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, I wonder if we express it in slightly understated terms. And I don't mean just this morning on Easter Sunday, but how much we understand it and live into that truth uh, at any time within the year. So over the next few minutes, I want to take some time to remind ourselves of the significance of this day. And I want to do that, and to the best of my ability, to do that in not so understated terms. So the title for this message this morning is one of who will roll back the stone? That's a question that the women asked on their way to the tomb. It's a fair question, right? Because they were coming to where Jesus had been laid to, uh, his, his body had been laid. There was a huge heavy stone over the tomb um, that was blocking them from being able to get in. They were named uh, in this. And Mark makes a point of naming the women uh, and repeating their names. These are the same women that were seen at Jesus' crucifixion. They, they'd have seen his death. They saw his burial. And now here they are returning to that burial place, but they're bringing with them spices to embalm his body. You see, they had no idea or expectation that Jesus had been raised to life. Now, isn't that remarkable? That's the fact that Jesus had taught his disciples that the Son of Man must die, but he would rise again on the third day. He spoke about it. We read it in Mark 8, 9, and 10. There's repetition. The fact that it, Mark repeats the, the account means that this is important. We need to pay attention to this. And in fact, Jesus probably said it many more times. But it, it's, it's hardly the best way to start a movement, is it? I mean, Jesus said, I'm going to, raise, I'm going to rise again on the third day. And yet none of the leaders who are going to be the start of this movement actually show up. None of them woke up that morning and thought, guys, it's the third day. Anybody? Shall we, shall we check it out? Why was that? Because the, the resurrection 
was as conceivable to them then as it is for many people today. See, the Greeks didn't believe in the resurrection. For them, the afterlife was the soul's liberation from the body. Some of the Jews had a, a, a general future resurrection in mind when the entire world would be renewed. Read in Hosea 6, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. And after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. But they had no concept of a single person, individual, being raised from the dead, much less one that, who died under a curse. And yet, here we read, while the women are wondering who will move the stone, they look up and they see that the stone has been rolled away. Now, Jesus needed no help from the women or any other human actor to come out from the grave. The stone was not rolled away for his benefit, but for the women, for the disciples, and through their testimony, for us. What was revealed partially through the words of the centurion at the foot of the cross when Jesus died, surely this man was the Son of God, is now being revealed fully for all. As the angel said, I know you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the one they nailed on the cross. He's been raised up. He's here no longer. You can see for yourselves. He's been raised up. This was no passive resurrection. Jesus was raised up. This was a mighty act of God who raised Jesus from the grave. In all respects, the rolling back of the stone suggests the resurrection of Jesus is entirely God's work. The human role in this event is one of a witness. So as witnesses, what did they see? And what then is God revealing to us today by rolling back the stone? Well, the angel's words spoke. He said, Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross, he's been raised up. When God rolled back the stone, he revealed that Jesus is alive. And so we go, yay, good for Jesus. He was such a nice guy. I mean, he was always helping people. He was very wise. He was good with children. He was very good with his hands. Look at this nice chair that he made for me. I'm so pleased for his mum. I mean, nobody deserves that. I mean, yeah, good for Jesus. That's what, but what does it mean? I mean, it's more than that. Not because Jesus was a good guy. Well, but the resurrection of Jesus is central to the Christian faith. It means far more than that. What does it mean to us? Paul says everything hinges on it. Because if it didn't happen, he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus validates Mark's gospel. Everything that Jesus said about himself is shown to be true. He knew his purpose was to give his life as a ransom for many, as he said in Mark 10, verse 45. Because under the law, the penalty for sin is death. Paul said in Romans, the wages of sin is death. And so Paul said later in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of the resurrection, the wages of sin have been paid in full. And God has declared victory over death. Do you believe this? 
We were able to see some of the baptisms that happened over this weekend where young people have been affirming their trust in the work of Jesus on the cross, going down into the water, dying to self as Christ died and went into the grave and then rising out of the water into new life, washed, made new, reborn into the resurrection life of Christ. Their testimony are the words of Paul in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what they were affirming at their baptism. That's what we believe as followers of Jesus. This is the life that we are given through faith in Christ. That's why we can affirm with joy and confidence and hope, no matter what life throws at us, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter how badly we mess up, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. When God rolled back the stone, it wasn't just good for Jesus. It was very good news. It was amazing news. The most life-changing news for all who would believe. Rolling back the stone revealed that Jesus has been raised. The grave could not hold him. Jesus has conquered death and sin. And through faith in him, so have we. And more than that, when God rolled back the stone, he revealed more than an empty tomb. He revealed his great love and longing for us to be restored in our relationship to him. The iniquities that we read of in Isaiah that once separated us from God, the sins that once hid his face from us have been removed. And we can be restored in our rightful relationship with God and with all his creation through faith in Jesus. But it's not the empty tomb that proves the resurrection, but the resurrection that makes the empty tomb so meaningful the women have seen the empty tomb. They've heard that he's been raised. They can see that he's not there. They've seen the apparent evidence. And the, the angel says, but now you must go to meet with Jesus himself in Galilee, just as he said he would. We can know a lot about Jesus. We can study a lot about the works of Jesus, about the resurrection. We can spend hours, months, years studying about this. But what we need is to encounter the living Lord Jesus. The four Gospels show seven accounts of Jesus appearing to the disciples. Uh, in his, the resurrected Jesus appearing to his disciples. Paul mentions five appearances. In Acts 1, we read from Luke that over a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people, different groups, different sizes at different times. In such a way that the size and the frequency of these group sightings make it hard to believe that these were hallucinations, that this was all some big hoax or conspiracy. And actually, Paul says, hey, you've got to go and check this out. These people are still alive. Ask them. They saw him. They'll tell you. But Jesus continues to reveal himself to us today by his spirit. Someone asked me, why do you believe what you believe? And I'm able to say, well, because of the evidence that I believe in the, the, the person of Jesus that lived, the, the recorded, documented history of his life and of his death uh, and of his re resurrection. I've had the chance to study the word, to study uh, the teachings. But 
it was actually through an encounter with Jesus that everything changed, that life and faith came alive. I came to faith while I was a teacher in a secondary school. I remember going into work the following day after I'd uh, had this uh, experience on the Sunday evening at this church that I'd walked into. And so excited but nervous about telling the people that I worked with, my colleagues, of what had happened. I was a geography teacher and we were on a field trip. And I remember on the way, uh, on the way actually, first thing, my colleague said to me, you're, you're very bouncy today, everything all right? And I, and I said, oh, I've got to tell you. I've got to tell you what's happened. And I poured out everything that I'd heard and what it meant to me uh, and, what, and the decision that I'd made the day before to trust and follow Jesus. And then as I was walking home at the end of that day, of all that excitement and having shared my friend and actually inviting him to come and uh, come to the Alpha Supper that was going to be hosted later that week, I remember walking back to my house uh, and thinking, am I, like, but am I making this up? Like, am I right? Lord, are you, are you really with me now? I mean, are you here with me now? And feeling the most incredible sense of his presence to the extent that I actually had to look down because I felt as if I was being lifted off the ground. Overwhelmed by the sense of his presence, by his love and the understanding that he would never leave me. We can meet with Jesus today. We can meet with Jesus every day through his word. I can live in his presence. I've known Jesus, the resurrected Jesus alive in my failure, I've known his mercy. I felt his strength in my weakness. He's given me hope in moments of despair. I've known his joy in my sadness. I felt his comfort in my grief. I've known his love and his faithfulness when I have felt utterly alone and betrayed. It's one thing to look at the proof of the risen Lord Jesus. It's another thing entirely to place your faith in him and choose to live your life daily in his presence. So that we could experience all of that, that we can say, well, me too, am I included in this life that Jesus extended to, to his disciples? Is this something for us today? The angel says to the women, now on your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. I find that just such a wonderful word of grace and encouragement. Jesus is keeping his promise, even though the disciples had failed and broken theirs. They deserted him, fled, abandoned him. And yet Jesus is true to his word. He's going to meet with them, just as he said he would. And Peter. And Peter. What a wonderful attention to detail that we should hear from the angels. This, the one who is mentioned by name, the Lord who knows us and calls us by name, the God who leaves the 99 in search of the lost. Can you imagine Peter's despair despite the failure of the disciples? God still completes his plans for the church. If there is accommodation for the likes of Peter, then surely there is hope for all of us who have at some point or other failed Christ. And I think that is all of us at some point or another. But Paul tells us in Ephesians, but it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. 
and Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter to remember, to reinstate Peter. What, what state must have been, he been in? Remember that he denied Jesus three times. Jesus looked him in the eye as he did so. I wonder what failure or sense of rejection or, or disappointment or hurt or how far we may feel that we've strayed from the Lord. Go and tell the disciples and Peter and put your own name in there. Go and tell my disciples and, and Paul. Go and tell my disciples and Andy. Go and tell my disciples, put your name in that place. Because he knows you by name. And he's calling to you. And when we hear that reinstatement and that extension, that call, that grace, that mercy that is extended, we're reminded, as Paul says in Romans 8, 28, that all things work for the good of those who love Jesus, who are called according to his purpose. God can make all things work together for good. When the stone was rolled back, God revealed the extent of his love, a reckless, overwhelming, unrelenting, gracious love that remembers that we are but dust. He emphasizes with our weakness. If God can forgive and use a man who knew Jesus as intimately as Peter and who failed so pitifully and horribly, then he can use the likes of you and me. There's hope. Jesus never stopped loving Peter. He knew in advance that Peter would deny him. Jesus even said he prayed for him. In Luke 22, that he prayed that his faith may not fail. Just think of that. Peter had Jesus' prayers behind him. And so do we. When the stone was rolled back, God revealed an empty tomb. Jesus is alive. And in that way, we see the extent of God's amazing grace and mercy that we all get to participate in the resurrection life. And Peter and me, we might also question our own need for it in the same that we cannot underestimate or understate the significance of the resurrection of Jesus this day that we're celebrating today neither can we understate how great our need for him and for the cross so Paul reminds us again all have sinned all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But through Jesus, God has made provision that when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, verse 9. What, what then do we say in response? Let's, let's have a look at the text and see what example we get from these women as they hear this good news. They got out as fast as they could Beside themselves, their heads swimming, stunned, they said nothing to anyone. What? They got out as fast as they could, beside themselves, their heads swimming, stunned, they said nothing to anyone. Like, and that's where it ends, right? That's where the gospel ends. What a weird way to end a gospel. 
I mean, so much so that there are other verses that, like, that's the, the oldest manuscripts have, that's the end. And, but since then, like, extra verses were added in to, to kind of tidy up and bring conclusion and, 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 and pull together, the, you know, the story in a way that would kind of tie it up nicely. But Mark writes in such a way that his purpose was clear. The women wrestled with the news, and so must we. When someone says, Christ is risen, what is our response? And I, and I don't mean just our words. What do we respond? Do we get it? Do we see what God is showing us by rolling back the stone? We see from the women that their fear impeded their obedience to the Lord. So we need to understand that the resurrection doesn't automatically dispel all fear and cowardice and transforming fallible human characters into faithful disciples. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not in an instant. We may this morning bring our questions. We may have our fears. We may have our doubts. We might be disappointed. Lord, why is this happening like this? Those people who were baptized this weekend, they didn't have it all together. They didn't get baptized because they'd finally attained some position or status. They didn't have all of their questions answered, but they got to a point where they felt that they understood that faith in Jesus meant following him and not merely contemplating him. Jesus calls us to trust him and to be baptized as an act of faith. It's an act of courage. It's a posture that says, I don't simply want to watch from the sidelines. I'm all in. And maybe you haven't decided yet your response to the truth that he is risen. And if you haven't, then I want to encourage you today to find those answers to your questions. Find out. Seek answers. And if you would like to, there's an opportunity to do so. On Wednesday, I'm going to be hosting a meeting online on Zoom. We're going to get a chance to learn together. Uh, ask questions about faith and life and meaning uh, through a material, uh, a resource provided through Alpha. It's a chance that you're going to be able to explore together these big questions that you may never have had chance to go uh, to, to ask about. But from the comfort of your own home, in front of a screen, you can bring your dinner plate, your coffee, your dessert, whatever it is. Um, but we can, this is a chance for us to, to explore together what has God revealed to us. And for those of us who have seen and that we do believe, then I want to ask you the question then, <clears throat> to whom is God sending you? Will you go and tell others? As the angels, as the angel instructed, this are like, go, like, go and tell, go and tell the disciples what you've heard. I would love us as a church to be hosting these conversations in our homes, for our friends, for our neighbors, for those that we work with, to, that we can connect at the moment via Zoom. It's never been easier to do. And if you'd like to find out more about that, uh, there's a chance that you'll be able to look at uh, a video. There's information that we'll be able to make available to you. Get in touch with me. I'd love to be able to help you uh, sort out uh, how you can be involved. I wanna finish just with one last story. A few years ago, we, uh, we decided we were going to surprise our kids with what we thought was going to be the ultimate uh, Christmas present um, uh, of a puppy. 
And uh, it, was a, it was a Christmas gift, although we, we planned to collect him uh, on the day of my son's birthday, which is at the beginning of December. But the kids had, they had like no idea that this was going to happen. They had no expectation because we'd always said, no, we can't have a dog in this house. And so we went out for the day. We had a nice lunch together. And at lunch, we said, oh, by the way, you know, this is sort of the birthday thing. But then after, we're going to go off and do something. But this is, we've got a surprise for you. And this is, but this is for both of you, uh, not just for Tiago's birthday, but this is a gift uh, for you both for Christmas. And so we finished our lunch and we jumped in the car and we headed off far off into the countryside. The kids were raining down their questions almost as heavily as it was raining outside. There was a torrential storm and we're heading out towards a farm. And I think the kids were kind of losing a bit of their enthusiasm. I, I think they were concerned we were taking them for some experience, a horse riding or something in the rain. But when we arrived, um, we jumped out of the car and we ran quickly out of the rain to get to go through the doors of this uh, to a little room where Ollie, as we later called him, uh, was waiting in a little crate um, to be met, this little ball of fluff. And I've got to tell you, I was expecting when, the, when they walked into the room, squeals of amazement and excitement and, uh, and it, was, it was nothing. It was just silence. And I looked at the guy, the breeder, and, and, uh, and he was, sort of looked at me and went, surprise, and, uh, and nothing. And then I, and I thought, oh, I, don't, I, don't think I don't think they're grasping the, the significance of the moments. And so I, I told them, he's the gift. He's the gift. He's the gift. And, uh, and they still didn't really get it. I think they just thought, would you like to come and meet this cute puppy? And then we're going to go. It's like, no, no, he's for you. He's coming home with us. He's going to live with us. And gradually, slowly, the, the confusion, the disbelief, the, de- the bewilderment started to fall away. And they picked him up and they cuddled and hugged him. And, and the question is, is he really for us? Can we, can we really keep him? Is he really going to come and live with us? You know, I think I tell that story because it, it, to me it's an example that sometimes it is possible that we, we miss the gift even when it's right in front of us. It may seem just too good to be true. Or maybe we just need somebody to help us to understand, to tell us. But like all gifts, they're to be received. God has rolled back the stone to reveal his gift to us all. Jesus is alive. Through his death and resurrection, he has declared victory over sin and death. And because he lives, we can be restored in our relationship to God and to one another. Because he lives, we can participate now in the resurrected life. I'm going to finish with the words that we shared at the very start of this service and at this me- of this message. But before I do, I do want to give you the opportunity, if you would like to receive this gift that God offers through Jesus, I'm going to invite you to pray with me now. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent your own son to die for us, to die for me. Lord, I am sorry for the things that I have done that have hurt my relationship with you. I confess them to you now. Lord, I now turn from all of those things 
and I turn to you. Lord Jesus, please come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Be my Lord and my Saviour. Fill me and help me to live to your praise and glory. And so it is. We say again with gusto and conviction, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.